This episode of the Sportsman's Nation is brought to you by Outdoor Edge and their complete lineup of replaceable blade knives, fixed blade knives, and game processing kits. Now, we've all been there before, trying to field dress your wild game with a dull knife. This is where Outdoor Edge really steps in. With the Razor Safe system, you can have a brand new razor sharp blade with just the push of a button. No more dull blades and no more problems processing your wild game. To check out all of the products from Outdoor Edge, visit OutdoorEdge.com. And at checkout, enter the discount code NATION30. That's N-A-T-I-O-N-3-0 for 30% off of your purchase. When in the field, accuracy and precision count. That's why we switch our slug guns to rifled barrels, tune our arrows, and use a fish finder on the water. But why should our drive for control end there? The Tappacue line of meat probes gives an instantaneous look at the temperatures of our prized meals, both internal and the cooking chamber. Tappacue uses sturdy hardware made and assembled here in the U.S., along with their user-friendly, sophisticated software that connects to your smart device. Whether it's a traditional corded probe or the new cordless air probes that give you a wealth of freedom where wires would just get in the way. Adding a Tappacue meat probe can significantly help in getting to that medium rare on venison or waterfowl, ensuring your upland bird stays moist, or even charting your long cooks on a smoker. Visit tappacue.com or find the link in the show notes and use the code HUNT10, all uppercase, at checkout to save 10%. Adding a probe to your kit can make you one tap away from your cue. Welcome to the Hunt of Ore podcast, powered by Sportsman's Nation, where we celebrate the hunting and fishing lifestyle through the utilization and consumption of our wild game. No egos. Fork in hand, beer in the other. No status. A piece of red meat on a hot grill and turn it into a burnt offering. Just catch it, cut it, cook it. This is episode 76, Pursuing Panfish with Lee Kleinnow. On this episode of Hunt of Ore, Nick is joined by Lee Kleinnow fellow podcast hosts of Freshwater Bite and Michigan Life Outdoors on Sportsman's Nation. He's an avid angler, and he hails from the east side of the state here in Michigan, enjoying the amazing opportunities that the Great Lake provides. Together, these two unpack the challenges of the Great Lakes face with environmental impacts and the impact of invasive non-native species that have worked into the watershed. After that downer, Lee's goes on about the bountiful species that are available and how a hungry angler could seemingly never get bored chasing so many fish. Nick focuses on his favorite catch, panfish in inland lakes. Wanting to improve his boomer bus trips, Lee gives Nick some pointers and tactics on chasing those bluegills in the dead of summer. Finally, the guys wrap up with their talk on a different preparation for walleye uh, other than fry. All this and more on the next episode of Huntivore. Well, hey, folks. Beautiful evening here in the state of Michigan. Maybe maybe on the little sticky side, the swampy side, we were getting some real heat. Like, we're getting some 90s. I think today's we were up in the, or today we were up in the mid-80s. But, man, I'm, I'm looking at my pool, and I'm sitting on the deck, and I'm, I can't tell the difference. Like, I feel like I'm already in the pool with just how 
wet feeling I am. But at the same time, I got the uh, thermocell going because we've got the mosquitoes flying around. And I'm sitting here with a fellow Sportsman's Nation podcaster with Lee. Lee, how do you say your last name? I'm going to mess that up. Is it Klein now? Did I get that right? You got it right, man. Yeah, that's like uh, that's rare. You got it uh, right on the first try, Kleino. Oh, man. Good quick stab at it. So, Lee, what's your go-to on bug repellent? Or being being around the lakes, I'm pretty sure that you are infested with everything that wants to either bite or sting you. Yeah. So, you know, for the most part, whatever's in my boat, which is typically something that's safe for the kids. So, you know, whatever's like light on the skin, not too, uh, I don't put on like deep feet or anything like that, like if you're in the backwoods. But a lot of the times that I like to put on there is just like the lotions that you kind of rub on because that's what we do for the kids. Gotcha. And uh, that seems to be working. And then the other good thing is a slight breeze always blows them away from the boat as well. So, Oh, there you go. Actually get into the wind. That'll, that'll help you. That's right. Don't be afraid of a little bit of wind. Gotcha. Yeah, I'm rocking my thermocell. It's uh it's a good little tool. I'm also wearing, just like you said, all the non-toxic stuff. My wife is very good on picking which items are gonna be our topicals. So I am I'm currently covered in eucalyptus and it seems to be working. <laughs> it could be the thermocell. I'm one that's like, I mean, DEET works and I'll deal with cancer later. <laughs> Maybe that's a bad mentality. But <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah. But I want well, something that's going to work. Here, here's a good tip. So, like, for the for the anglers out there, like, a big thing, too, is sun protection, right? So we don't want to just come off the water and feel terrible when we go in and cool down and at the end of the day. So a lot of the times, which is good for a good bug repellent as well, is, you know, they, they wear these long sleeve, really light, breathable, um, you know, that are SPF safe, like up to 40 or 50, almost like Columbia makes. You see them wear them. They're really, like, stretchy and light. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Almost so, parachute-y. Like, you know, yeah, a lot exactly. of vents. Yeah, and a lot of the times, a lot of them nowadays have hoods on the back. So what I'll do is, like, if the bugs are bad, there's two things. One, it protects me from the sun. But two, if the bugs are bad, there's, like, a hood on the back. And I'll throw that up on the back. Because, like, you know, like, mosquitoes, for some reason, love to target, like, the back of your legs or the back of your neck or something like that. If you throw that hood up, and a lot of the times there's, um, there's such great technology nowadays in fishing where – um, that it serves dual purpose. So it protects you from the sun. And also you don't feel so hot and sweaty in it. It's very breathable and it protects you from the bugs as well. So if you're out there, you can protect yourself from two things. Awesome. Awesome. Hey, two for one deal. I'm all about multitaskers. It also, I mean, I need an update on my wardrobe. T-shirts is, they start to fall apart after a while. So yeah, I should probably upgrade a little bit. Yeah, cotton just gets too wet. Like a day like today, right? Everything's sticking to you. These shirts that they make, AFCO Fishing makes a good one. Striker Ice makes good stuff too for the summertime. And uh, yeah, it's it, they're great. Gotcha. Well, hey, we're here to talk about our great state of here in being in Michigan. We touch almost all of the claimed Great Lakes, with the exception of Ontario. But we at least have a hand in being a part of all these lakes our landscape even being inland you're no you're no more far away from a piece of water than a 10 minute walk and i think that's where the phrase comes from in michigan you are never more than 10 minutes from water so we're all like humidity is a thing that we just constantly live with but with that comes so many opportunities and lee you my friend you're a guy who spends most of his days, every off chance that he gets, you're going to be 
uh, on the water. What are you heading to some secret spot on some inland lake, or are you shooting for big deep water? Being one of the one of the Great Lakes, where do you head to first? Yeah, so most of my experience, to be honest with you, is probably on the the Great Lakes now, which are the bigger bodies of water. A um, little bit about myself: I grew up in Southeast Michigan. And, uh, you know, being right by Lake Erie, I, I grew up in kind of like around the Dundee area. Um, you know, that wasn't more than, like you said, 10, 20 minute drive away, depending. So, you know, when I first started fishing, I kind of grew up fishing, um, you know, on the bigger bodies of water. But when I was a kid, uh, you know, going up north to my grandpa's lake, uh, you know, I cut my teeth, learned how to catch panfish and things like that. I'm inland bodies of water, but you know, for the most part right now, I'm, I'm fishing the big waters. Um, I lived uh, up in Traverse City for uh, five and a half years up there, uh, fishing Lake Michigan, um, the big bays, East and West Bay in Traverse City, as you guys know. So most of my time, and if I have, you know, a, a day off or a weekend fishing trip, I'm going to a big body of water. Nice, nice. I, that's always like being where I'm centrally located at, or at least, you know, more inland. It's, it's one of those things like it's a special event. Um, we've got, I mean, small boats around here that you'd put on small water. Um, but heading out onto the, on the big lake, that seems so intimidating of a, of a task that you're doing. And here you were doing, you were cutting your teeth on, on doing the big lake stuff. What, what's your uh, favorite part about being out on the big water? Yeah. So to answer um, your question there, the biggest, the best thing for me is like on the big body of water, I feel like I become a better angler because there's so much more water to dissect, meaning like figuring out what species I'm going for, where they're at that time of year um, and doing it in a safe manner. But going out there, I can throw different presentations. Um, Trolling is always huge on the Great Lakes. So I've, I've learned to try to be efficient at that. Um, just getting more rods in the water. Um, here in the state of Michigan, we're allowed to have three um, lines in the water per angler. So if you've got a buddy in the boat, you know, you can throw six lines in the water. you got three off each side. You can just be more efficient with your time on the water, too. That's another great thing about being with the Great Lakes. But, you know, you were talking about it for, you know, someone like yourself, it being intimidating. You know, I don't have the biggest boat, actually. I only have... I have a 16 and a half foot one deep V pro V series. Um, it's an aluminum boat, but it's not huge, but I can take that boat confidently in waters that, um, you know, if it gets a little bit choppy out there, two footers, something like that, I know that I'll still be okay. But, you know, I, I play it safe too. If, if, if it's 20 mile an hour winds or something like that, or 15 mile an hour winds, and it's a bad, you know, three, three foot, four foot chop out there, I just, it's, for me, it's not worth it um, until, you know, I'd be able to afford a much larger boat. But at this time, I pick my days when I go out there. I'm very, um, I, I pay attention to the weather, which, you know, any angler coming up or listening to this, you don't have to have the biggest, longest, heaviest, baddest boat. You have the technology on our phones, you know, storm warnings on our phones that come through, uh, all the weather apps and things like that. Just pay attention to how the day progresses hourly and you'll know you'll be okay. If it's going to get dicey after three, four hours out on the big water, you know, like, Hey, I got to get my fishing in bright and early at 5.00 AM on the water at 5.30 and uh, you know, I'm off by 10 AM and you know, if, if, if the winds are safe enough. So 
with that, don't be intimidated by the big bodies of water. Just, you know, play it somewhat safe and uh, you'll, you'll be fine. Sorry about that. My dog's over here yiping. Um, no, fine. Yeah, because I, I look at that and I'm just kind of like, man, there's so many shipwrecks of like massive vessels. And it's like it doesn't take fast for, I'm sure, things to get real dicey, um, you know, out of hand and be one of those things like, shoot, I thought I could take it, but here's the thing is now now I can't get back to port. I, right. You know, that's one of those situations. But like you said, keeping your head on your shoulders and just being proactive rather than reactive at that point. Yeah. If you know it's going to be rising, like, well, hey, let's uh, let's head on out. A right. big fish no, is not worth no fish is, capsizing. Yeah, exactly. I was just about to say, no fish is worth your life. So. You know, just when you go out there, uh, the other good thing, too, it's made me a better, um, you know, maritimer, if you want to say that. Um, But just, you know, to be control of my vessel, when I when I take my kids out or take my wife out or take family members, friends, stuff like that, you have a huge responsibility driving that boat. So, you know, the more that I went out on the water, I knew when to call it, you know, they could see that I was confident. If, if the wind picked up, I would say, Hey, we're going to be fine. Don't worry. This isn't, this isn't bad. Or if it got dicey, be like, Hey, we gotta, we gotta get them in. We gotta get these lines in. we gotta be in by one o'clock because you know, there's a storm blowing up. That's just, that makes you more confident. And when you're more confident in yourself on the water and knowing your vessel and things like that, you know, fishing, you know, you don't have to focus on that. Then you can just focus on the fishing because you know how, You've done your homework. You know how to handle yourself. You know what the conditions are going to be, and you'll be more efficient when it comes to fishing rather than guessing if it's going to get bad or not. Along with conditions, I'm going to kind of play two sides of this coin. So we're going to be on we're going to be on the tail side, bit of the downer, but at the same time, a a very real thing that's going on is that being such a uh, a large body of water. Um, there's a lot that's dependent upon this this ecosystem, and without a doubt, we've made an impact on that. Um, we hear about invasive species uh, all the time. If you if you're going to a boat launch, you have seen signs about invasive species. Um, there's there's contaminants. There's a lot of things that are really attacking our Great Lakes. What are some of those things that you're you're observing and seeing? as a sportsman um, that are on these environmental levels that it's like, man, these are some, some red alarms that, that are going off. Yeah. Um, the biggest one that, that I see and you'll hear a lot about in other anglers and stuff like that is definitely the, the, the invasive species. Um, a lot of that comes from, you know, anglers, um, leisure boaters, things like that, harvesting or harboring, excuse me, these, these species and, you know, bringing them to our inland bodies of water. Um, that would probably be the biggest impact that I see, for example, like the zebra mussel. Um, are you familiar with what those are? Yeah. Those are the, the real, the real small, but man, they, they find your pit, they find like a post or pillar that's in there and they'll just cut you right up if you drag your arm right across it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So there's one hazard right there. They like to attach to things that are like a hard surface. So if it's like, um, you know, a log underwater, if, if there's a lake that's like very like, like a limestone lake, like very clear, but has a lot of rocks on the bottom and things like that, these mussels will, these zebra mussels will attach to there and they'll be in there and cover the entire surface. So let's say, you know, for example, an, in, an inland body of water that you used to swim as a kid or something like that, and you go back and you start to see these things on rocks, 
well now if you're swimming you got to kind of be you get to pay attention because a lot of the times those things can be sharp if you step on them you can cut your foot up um when they die those shells wash the shore so that nice sandy beach that you used to have before becomes you know infested with these dead zebra mussels that are you know it's like little shards of glass almost you know what i mean like when you walk on so they're tough to walk on and things like that that would be the number one thing that i've seen are these zebra mussels showing up everywhere um and what they do is they filter the water in a way of like they suck out all the nutrients good nutrients in water that a lot of native species and native fish need in order to grow a healthy and you know prosperous kind of you know life cycle so they're sucking out algae they're like algae filters um if they take all that good algae away and, and, and suck that through then the the new fry of like let's say your your perch or your bluegill or your walleye or something like that they rely on that algae and that nutrients to be in the water in order for them to grow and eat and things like that well if they're sucking all that away that's going to start to directly impact your you know your fishing right you're not going to have those those good numbers that you may have had it in the past or if you notice that you, you used to catch a ton as a kid now it's a little bit different um so these zebra mussels they they like clean up the water and some people are like wow, the lakes in Michigan are so clear. You know, I had no idea a lot of these, you know, inland bodies of water look like Caribbean water and things like that. Well, if you look in that quote unquote Caribbean water that looks so pretty, look at the bottom, look at the, the, um, the logs that are on the bottom. They're going to probably going to be covered by these zebra mussels. And what that does is that allows more light penetration to get down deeper into the body of water. And, um, I'm trying to think of the name of it. You, eutrophication i think it's called yeah eutrophication and it's basically like it promotes these huge algae blooms creates dead zones in these bodies of water which leads to low o2 levels which you know if there's low o2 levels fish can't live in those areas of the, of the lake and things like that so zebra mussels are a big pain in the butt dude gotcha man it's amazing how something that's i mean no bigger than your fingernail that you're like, how can that be such a deal? And it's maybe not just the size of one particular zebra mussel. It's the fact that there's billions and billions of these things that, yeah, like you just said, can basically vacuum up a, a body of water to basically then have all these problems. Right. And it's really, you know, it's deceiving because, like I said earlier, some people are loving the clear water and they're like, wow, swimming in such clear water, this is great. Well, if you're an angler locally and you see a decline in your perch population or, you know, walleye are taking a very, very, very long time to get to a, a size where you can, you know, you feel comfortable taking some home, it, it becomes frustrating. And, you know, it's it's tough. And I'm not pay, placing blame on anybody. We're all at fault. You know, they, they come in on our boats, um, you know, people transfer them unknowingly to other bodies of water. That's why it's important to, you know, when you get your boat out of the water, make sure you pull your plug, drain it completely, dry it out. Make sure you wipe down, wash the bottom of your your um, your boat, things like that, before you go into another body of water, another lake, because those things can travel with that boat, and then you're dumping it into another lake that may not have had any zebra mussels. So. Man, just one of those, like, oh, do I really have to do this? Yeah. Yeah, you do. Otherwise, you're going to cause a problem. It only takes one. Yeah, and you'll see them at uh, Michigan boat launches. You know, I mean, you're, go to your local body of water there and go to your public launch and things like that. There's signs there. 
Um, and they've got them pretty visible now. They're right in front of your face as soon as you launch. Like when you're getting your boat ready and you're starting to back down and you get out to get your straps off and, you know, get everything ready to launch your boat, put your plug in, those those signs are getting bigger and bigger and they're making sure that, you know, you know what you're doing. They want to make it very, you know, very visible for you to, to read those signs. So um, especially if you're going to a body of water or an inland lake that you may not have been to before. I always go over to those launch signs, those DNR posts, those, those boards. and like to see like what species are in here. What's the max depth? You know what I mean? Like you, you should look at some of that stuff before you launch your boat in there and kind of get a lay of the land before you just drop your boat in anywhere. And uh, yeah, I think it was like, I read somewhere before Nick that Lake Michigan's water clarity has increased from like 13 feet to 31 feet. I think I read somewhere. Oh over goodness. the course of like over the course of like five or six years or something like that, just from these zebra mussels. So yeah, they're pain in the booty. Yeah. Man. Has there been any steps towards finding some sort of solution or is it just one of those things like they're here and now we just need to live with them? They're here. They, they reproduce and, you know, their numbers happen so fast. It's like, I don't, in my opinion, there's no way to, eradicate them ever um you just got to slow the spread um do what we can there are some they do have some predators i know like gobies eat them um i want to say drums eat them and some other fish and things like that but they're not making a dent and like a lot of the power plants and stuff like that like their water intakes they've got to spend like millions of dollars every every year to clear them off because these zebra mussels stick to them and then they can't take their water in anymore to cool whatever they're cooling so they spend a lot of money, like, because their pipes run underwater, you know. So, right. and they attach to anything that's hard. So I know they spend a lot of money. Not that that's, you know, that we care, but yeah, that's. I know they don't like them either. Yeah, that was definitely the bummer side. I wanted to start off with that, just to be like, hey, these amazing pieces of of environment, these amazing pieces of water, um, that they they are being threatened on de- many different levels and many different areas. But at the same time, they are an absolute sportsman's playground. Yeah. How many different species do you chase down, Lee, on any given piece of a, a Great Lake? I know, like, there's there are multiple species that are all uh, chase-worthy. Yeah. So, like, if, you were to, if I were to break it down to, like, hey, Lee, what kind of guy are you? Are you a salmon guy? Are you a lake trout guy? Are you a walleye guy? I would say, you know, 60% of me is probably walleye. Um, I love walleye. I'm addicted to them. I, I love chasing them. I love the the constant, you know, cat and mouse, how they change with the, the conditions, the temperature, the time of year, all that kind of stuff. They're a lot, a lot of fun to catch. And they taste really good, which we'll get into that later. But, um, you know, from there, I would say I like to chase salmon um, a lot of the times in the, the late summer. Um, you know, inland bodies of water, I'll do some, uh, some, some bluegill and some perch fishing and things like that. A lot of things that I could do with my kids, but you know, 60% of the time I'm chasing walleye. Um, but you know, me as an angler, that's, that's what I love about fishing. And that's what I love about the state of Michigan is there's so many different opportunities for, to find what you like to go after. But also if you get bored with something or you want to challenge yourself, there is a ton of opportunity to challenge yourself, whether that be 
hey, I'm going to go chase salmon. I've never done salmon before. Um, or I'm going to go into the inland streams and rivers and things like that. I want to I want to chase brown trout. I want to do um, steelhead, things like that. Uh, you can go catch carp on a fly rod up in uh, a lot of the flats now in like Lake Michigan um, and the UP just over the bridge and things like that. I mean, there are so many different opportunities in the state of Michigan and it's endless. And we're, we're actually truly blessed to live in this state. And if you do live in this state, you can change it up at any time to, uh, you know, to, to challenge yourself. And that's what I'm doing. I'm, I'm evolving as an angler. I'm constantly figuring out new ways to catch fish, talking to different people um, on the podcast, uh, you know, finding out their backstories and things like that and why they fish the way they fish. And hopefully, you know, you guys can relate to that, but um, the, the, the opportunity in Michigan is, is endless. That's so cool. I'm getting goosebumps as you're just talking about that, just to be like, we've got such an awesome uh, bounty that's out there for us to chase and to be able to then, you know, if I'm, if I am getting bored with one, I mean, how can you get bored? But anyway, uh, you're, you're done with one species and you can shift gears and chase something completely sure. different that, you know, it's, it's not even going from checkers to chess. It's a completely different game of chess because now they're going to react in a different way to whatever you present to them. That's so cool. Yeah. I mean, well, our palate changes too throughout the year, right? So if you want like a white flaky fish, um, you know, you can do perch, walleye, white fish, but then like, you know, a lot of people don't, re- I mean, I think people realize, but you know, salmon is here. I mean, think about that. Most people throughout the rest of the United States have to get their salmon from one of the coasts, right? Either East coast or West coast, you know, predominantly probably more of the West coast, Alaska. When people think of salmon, they think of, you know, Alaska, you know, Oregon, Washington, you know, that kind of stuff. But really in the state of Michigan, we have them here in our Great Lakes and we can go chase them at any time that we want to for the most part. And, you know, late spring to to fall time and you can, you know, put a, a decent amount in your freezer. So if it is November or December and you're like, hey, I'm in the mood for salmon, uh, your your wife or whoever, you can go in the freezer and, and grab some fillets and you caught that here locally. And I'd say some of those fish, I've only been on one charter outing on the big lake. Uh, went for a buddy's birthday. Uh, we all head out on, on there. It was pretty rocky and wavy. I took my Dramamine. I learned about uphill and downhill on that, that there is an uphill. Or you, you start downhill, and then when he turned that boat around, he told us, hey, we're going to start going uphill. And <laughs> Man, the front of that nose on that boat was just rocking and rolling. Um, we are—I think we were also really successful because I did chum the water quite vigorously. Oh, did you lose it? Oh yeah, all over oh. the place. I tried so hard. I was like, I'm not going to eat a ton. I ate the night before, and then I was just chewing on jerky. I needed something. I could see shore. I've got a pretty—I got a weak stomach, but if I'm—I've got a couple tips and tricks that I give myself when I'm at least on deeper water i'm like always always look at the at shore if you can find it find something stable sit towards the back of the boat but all of it just it was for not i ended up throwing up <laughs> off the back of the boat and the well, first the you, first mate was giving me are bad because you're dehydrated a lot of the time oh yeah i can imagine i didn't i only had like one or two beers it was not gonna it was not a drinking fest but i can only imagine having like five or six of them and just being absolutely miserable yeah. Yeah. It's something that like, you know, th- that's another good thing. I, I mean, don't feel, uh, so if you don't have a big boat, 
or you don't feel like, well, like, well, I can't go get salmon. I love supporting local or our, our charter captains. I mean, they live and die by those salmon for a lot of the times their years do their, their, I mean, that's how they make their money. So if it costs you, you know, you, you and your buddy split a charter and it costs each guy 150 bucks or something like that, or 120 bucks, think about that. You're getting fresh salmon from a lake that you know where that meat has been and it's going back home to your freezer. I mean, if you go to the local supermarket, you're spending 20 to $40, depending on your grade of salmon, just to grab and go home. Why not go catch it yourself? And then also at the same time, support your fellow small business owners in here in the state of Michigan. You don't have to have a big boat. You can get on their big boat and pay $150, um, you know, a year to go out and throw some in the freezer. Yeah. Amen to that. And I mean, pulling up one of those, those salmon, when you fly off that side, you think about, well, what's my return on investment if you're going to go that kind of route? I mean, some of the halves, some of the fillets alone is like the size of one of the wild turkeys you just spent, I don't know how many weeks chasing, like, and you got that in an, in an afternoon and to pull up, you know, four of those puppies, you're going to end up with a mess of salmon. You will not be without. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, if it's you and your wife or you and your kids, you know, one side, one fillet of a salmon could feed the entire family. Like if you cut it into, you know, nice, you know, four inch or five inch sections, you know, that could feed a whole family for one night, depending on the size of your family. So it's not like, you know, you just don't think of it as like, I caught one fish, so I'm only going to be able to eat one time. Like, you can have multiple meals off that fish. Oh, for sure, for sure. But we were talking at the uh, beginning, too. Like, man, just like with everything, of course, there's never one definitive answer. Of course, there's going to be two sides to everything. And we were talking a little bit on how bigger isn't always better. When it's coming to fish, there's a couple things we run into with bigger, older fish. Um, I recently read this article, and, and actually I saw a breakdown of mercury content in larger fish versus smaller fish, that you have kind of like this contamination sink in some of these larger predatory fish, but it doesn't really affect, or it's more, what do I want to say, diluted in the smaller um, feeder fish. What's your opinion on on some of these contaminants? How how would you suggest someone approach this? Yeah, so this is one of those subjects that's like, you know, you're going to get a bunch of different answers from different anglers um, throughout the state of Michigan or just in general, actually. But, you know, typically the larger predators are going to have the higher levels of mercury and things like that. So let's say, you know, for salmon, I mean, I don't think you would see – I'm not a doctor and this is just my opinion. I don't think you would see any like negative consequences if you, you know, you ate salmon, you know, two days a week for two weeks in a row. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think you're going to be like glowing by the end of the two weeks, but you know, at the same time, just do your research. Like, you know, you probably don't want to feed a ton of it to your kids or something like that. Um, if you're super worried about it, you know, just do it in doses. Like just, I guess for me too, at the same time, it never really crosses my mind um, coming from like Lake Michigan and things like that. Um, you know, definitely pay, pay attention to like your inner rivers. I would say I would look to that more. Um, if you're eating a lot of fish out of the rivers and things like that, um, pay attention to, you know, what industries around there, 
um, you know, call up your local biologist, fishing biologist, DNR biologist, get their opinion on um, different inland bodies of water and streams and rivers and things like that. Um, and then make your own educated decision. I'm not going to tell anybody like how they should eat or how they should, you know, how often they should eat their, their wild game or their, their fish that they catch. I just think that if you, if you're super worried about it, just take it in strides, take it in doses. And then getting back to what you were talking about earlier, this is always a good way to, to eliminate or help alleviate the fears of mercury contamination, which like bigger is not always better. So if you catch a huge fish, let's say you catch a 28, 30 inch walleye, that fish is going to probably have a lot more mercury content than if you were to catch, you know, a bunch of 17 to 21 inch walleye. Those are the walleye that I try to keep, which are the smaller ones, the 15 inches to, you know, 21, 22 inches, 23 inches. If you get much bigger than that, you got to ask yourself, are you out here to catch monsters to throw on your wall, get a cool photo with? Um, or are you out here because you want to put meat in the freezer or you want to take some stuff home with your family? If that's what your your goal is, is to take meat home, I would suggest, this is just my opinion, keep the fish that are smaller in size, you know, that that 15-inch to 21-inch, 22-inch range. Keep a bunch of those. You'll if, if you're super worried about the mercury content, you'll sleep better at night knowing that there's not high levels of mercury in them. But if you're like, man, I want the biggest fish. I only want to keep, you know, 28-inch fish or whatever it is for walleye. Well, then that's fine. But you're putting yourself, you know, at risk for those higher mercury contents. So it's, it's each their own. But I, I typically don't worry about it. I love that approach that you put put on that. That it's, you know what, if you if you want, if this, you know, depending on what you want to do, you want the pictures, you want the wall mounters, hey, Go find the big lunkers. But if it's something you want to eat, yeah, aim for something that's a little more plentiful, but at the same time not near the age class that, that you're looking at the, at there on those fish. And, in fact, you know, going multiple a little bit smaller is probably going to be a better payout. I, I really appreciate that. I think that's a really good way uh, to approach that. As one who would be going strictly for the meat, like that, that's going to pay out, I think, in dividends. Yeah, and I think if you did that, you I mean, I wouldn't worry about any kind of contaminants after that mercury levels or anything like that. Just you know, you you know what you're after and you know that uh, you know you're not keeping the biggest fish, so you'd be fine. Just wanted to take a time out and say thank you to the listeners for tuning in. It really does mean a lot. I would also appreciate that if you haven't already left a rating or review, uh, to go ahead and do that. It all helps folks find us and get on board using and enjoying their wild game more. Feel free to chat with us and ask questions either on Facebook, The Huntivore, or Instagram, at Huntivore. Got a recipe you think is dynamite and want to share? Or have some show topic ideas? Email us at Huntivore at gmail.com. For even more hunting and fishing podcasts by real, relatable sportsmen, head over to Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, which happens to be a 2% for conservation company who give 1% of their earnings and 1% of their time helping out the wildlife and wild places we all love. Now, back to the show.
I think you already alluded to it a little bit further or a little bit earlier. Um, favorite fish to chase. You're a walleye guy. Mm-hmm. What's what's it like chasing a walleye? Like what what is your game plan for that? As a self-proclaimed worm dunker, um, like I I see how many different approaches that different anglers take. What's kind of like your game book plan that you go for for walleye? Yeah, what do you want? What time of year? Like, because I chase them all the time of year. I'll, it depends on to, different times of year. Holy smokes! Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I'm I ice fish for them. Um, I, I I jig for them uh, in the spring when they're spawning. I troll for them at the the end of spring, beginning of summer. Um, you know, I get back. In, I don't. I guess I should say I don't chase them as much in the fall because a lot of times is when I start to focus on um, you know deer and things like that. But I, you know, I, I enjoy chasing them in all types of conditions. Um, ice fishing is a great time. Um, probably the best way if you haven't caught walleye before and you live near, uh, you know, an an inland body of water that, you know, has them. My suggestion to you is like, start with ice fishing because they, they're very active underneath the ice. They're, I wouldn't say they're easy to catch, but you can throw some tip ups up there um you know find those weed edges or those breaks and uh throw some uh some minnows tipped or tip ups tipped with minnows and just sit back and start to figure out you know their pattern and um it's a great way to kind of like introduce yourself to that uh you know again living in the state of michigan you know specifically down here where i live on lake erie detroit river we have probably the world's biggest population of walleye we have a walleye factory in Lake Erie and a really another good time of year for beginners to go after walleye would be to go on the Detroit river in, um, in April. They're coming up the river to spawn. They're in there by the hundreds of thousands. So there's a ton of them in there. And, uh, all you do is basically just take a one ounce jig head, um, tip with like a soft plastic minnow, four inch minnow body, um, darker colors work best. Uh, for the most part and what you do is you just go up the Detroit River kind of find like go towards not close to shore but like I don't know 20 foot 20 20 to 15 foot area and you just jig up and down and that's all you got to do you just got to kind of keep your boat kind of going down with the current so your jig head stays somewhat straight up and down and you just tap that jig head off the bottom hit the bottom pick it up hit the bottom pick it up and within a few minutes you'll be hooked into walleye and you'll you'll easily get your limit for the day and be able to go home and you know flame up and fill your freezer with some walleye that's that's probably the best beginner way uh between ice fishing and jigging for them in the spring to kind of get that to catch that walleye bite that's a huge event i got buddies and guys that i mean they look forward to i quote unquote opening day of of walleye they they get prepped weeks in advance to come over there uh in the springtime to do that that's like there's a lot of boats that are all in that uh channel all at one time am i right oh dude everyone jokes that you can like you can skip across the river to get to like roseal or something like that by jumping boat to boat <laughs> there's so many boats and uh it, it, it is a good time and a lot of people do look forward to it you'll see when you go there you'll see license plate from kentucky tennessee um arkansas uh, Iowa, you know, everywhere. It, it is a national treasure that run. Um, 
every year. And it's, like I said, it's, it's a great way because it's not hard fishing, meaning like you don't have to be super knowledgeable about it. The fish are concentrated in that river, um, you know, dropping down that one inch jig head, uh, tipped with the middle body, you're going to most likely get hit and you're going to, you're going to have a blast doing it, bringing them up from the bottom. And, uh, it is a great introduction to walleye. That's so cool. It falls right into, I think, my style where I can drop a line and like you said, you feel it hit the bottom and then you just pick it up. If I just can mm-hmm. give, if I can sit there and just give a little action to the rod, like that's, that's kind of my wheelhouse right now. And to know that that is still someplace successful. That's, oh, yeah. that's awesome. Yeah. It, it is such a good time. Great way to get kids introduced to it as well. So, so we've talked about a lot of different fish and kind of like the 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 palate there i mean specifically with salmon versus walleye what's your favorite to eat are you still sticking with the white flaky or are you moving more to the uh the oily side being on on the salmon yeah so my palate changes all the time i i'm not sure if your does but you know i i sometimes i get burnt out or i'm i want to change it up and things like that so i'll go in the freezer and grab something different i like everything i'll i'll eat walleye um you know there's a lot of different ways that you can prepare white flaky fish you can bake them you can fry them which is like the traditional way a lot of people realize um or if you go to like a your local bar or church fish fry a lot of times they're just deep fried but like dude people might think i'm weird for this but i like even lake trout like i'll eat lake trout on the grill any 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 time like i i'll eat it no matter what because it is it is a different taste. It's something that it doesn't bother me. Um, uh, same thing that goes with salmon, you know, having it over a bed of rice. For the most part, you don't really put, like, uh, like walleye over, like, a bed of rice or something like that. Like, you can get really creative in your culinary skills if you like to, to, to cook um, based off of what how your palate changes. Like, you know, typically in the wintertime, like, it's really good to have, like, deep-fried fish because, it, like, it's a comfort food. It, like, warms you up. You know, you having the fryer going, it just kind of reminds you of like different times of the year. But then, like when it starts to get hot out, um, you know, I like to put things on the grill. And for the most part, when I put it on the grill, salmon and white trout taste great on the grill. So it just depends on the time of year. My palate constantly changes, but I'm down to eat whatever. <laughs> and it's actually, got fins and gills. It's on your plate, eh? <laughs> yeah. And actually, you know what? One of my favorite fish to eat. A lot of people might think this is weird too, but it's called burbot. You know what a burbot is? That, um, I think I've kind of seen it. I've seen a lot of stuff from like the ice, ice fishing stuff over in Minnesota. They, I think they have a, do they have more burbot over there than we do here in Michigan? Uh, probably. We got a pretty decent burbot, depending on your inland lake or even great lake that you fish out of. But burbot look disgusting. And I'll just say it. I mean, anybody listening to this, Google burbot and you'll see what I'm talking about. Basically, it looks like kind of like a dogfish almost. But when you bring them up, you're like, there's no way you're going to eat this, but everyone calls it. This is like, if I get, if I catch a bourbon, I'm like, honey, we're eating good tonight because it tastes like, um, poor man's lobster is what they call it. It tastes like lobster. Oh, it, man. It, it is so good, dude. I'm telling you, if, if you catch a bourbon, you're a lucky person and you gotta, you gotta, you know, be thankful you caught that thing because you just caught oh you know, a lottery ticket in my opinion. Um, now, is that a, great tasting. Is that an inland lake find, or is that a big laker? Uh, most people find them in the inland lakes, I would say. If uh, Ice fishing is another time of year where you'll catch a ton of them. Um, 
at night if you, if you have uh, if you know that they're in your lake. Uh, you know, I catch I used to catch them in uh, up in the Grand Traverse area in the bays. So that was another good area if you're thinking like bigger bodies of water. Um, dude, you will not be disappointed. They honestly taste like lobster. That's awesome. I just got into the ice fishing game this this year. I had to I wanted to pick something up that uh, was something that my boys and I could go do, and so we're still getting our feet wet, literally and figuratively, um, in in ice fishing. So to know like there's something else I can chase other than just the bluegill and throw the tip up up for a pike, but now I can even try to find this poor man's lobster. Like now oh, I'm even. Yeah. I'm even more on fire now to get the <laughs> to get the rigs Dude, ready to go. A, a couple of years ago at Salmon Cap Camp, me and my buddies fried up some burbot that I had in the freezer, and we didn't touch the fresh salmon that we had. We just kept that on ice to take home with us. We ate the burbot and we were like in heaven. It was the best. It was probably hands down top five best meals I've ever had in my life. Was standing over a campfire um, on the west side of Michigan. Uh, salmon fishing, you know, we came back from the day and we fried up some burbot in a skillet, or I'm sorry, in a, a cast iron pan. It was phenomenal. Oh man. That's, that's just the best stories right there. I love it. Yeah. So like I was saying earlier too, I am the self-proclaimed worm dunker. If I can rock a bobber and a little, uh, split shot, uh, weight and a hook, I can understand that system. That's what I got down. But I'm also very hot and cold. Like there are days that I'll go out with the boys and it's like all I do is just unhook fish, add on another wax worm, and they cast them back out. And I I love those days. And then there's other days where, man, we just sit out there and nothing's happening. Pretty soon they're getting bored and they start fighting with each other. And then, you know, the day kind of goes on from there because we just couldn't find the fish. What what would be something that you would give a novice like me? Like, here are some things that you should do to help scout some water and to find more panfish. Yeah. So let's just take let's just take like this time of year, right? Where it's kind of getting into the dog days of summer, where it's you know things are getting hot and things like that. One, I would say, fish early in the morning, and if you've got young kids and they're not up that early, then wait to go at night. Like if you're on a body of water on an inland body of water, wait till the boat traffic is done from all the skiers and stuff like that. Wait till the wind dies down a little bit and go out like an hour and a half before sunset. The wind typically dies down. You want that lake to kind of lay a little bit more flat and calm. And then depending on what you have in your boat, meaning like if you have a, if you have a fish finder or a graph that'll tell you like what that bottom is like, yeah. I would, I, do you have one or no? Uh, the boat that I borrow does. Okay. So one thing you want to look for on there is you want to kind of drive around the, the outskirts of the lake and you want to find where the vegetation's at. So you want to find where there's sunken weeds kind of not, not necessarily lily pads because that'll be tough with a bobber and worm and kids you'll be getting snagged all the time, but you want to find where the sunken weed beds are. And typically it kind of looks like, um, like lettuce underwater, if that makes sense, yeah. or like re- really, really fine, small little weeds. And what you want to do is you want to find them in the deeper body, deeper part of the lake. What I mean by that is you don't want to be super close to shore where you're fishing in like five feet of water this time of year. You want to go out deeper in that like 15 to 20 foot kind of area. 
And if you can see the, the, the seaweed down at the bottom or you can mark it on your graph and you can see that it comes up off the bottom, you know, two, three feet, well, set your bobber depth or your slip bobber depth for, you know, right around that area to be above those weeds. And that a lot of the time is, you know, panfish, for the most part, they, they get scooped up a lot by a lot of predators. So they're always looking to hide. So a lot of the times, though, even though you can see the weeds down there and you're not seeing or marking any fish, they're in there. Especially if you know it's a lake that has a lot of panfish or perch or crappie or whatever it is. Dangle that worm or um, that wax worm or whatever it is above that weed bed by getting as close as you can to it, but not like being in it where you get snagged up. And a lot of the times you'll see those those aggressive bluegills, crappie, perch are going to come swooping up after your bait and, and you'll get smoked right there. Awesome. See, that's pro- I've always been one to be like, well, let's hang, let's go by this dock. Like maybe I was thinking because I've seen, you know, bass fishing episodes as a kid, and thinking like, oh, well, if I just go by these docks or if I just go by this uh, little area that look like beds, this might be a hot spot. But that's almost in complete reverse. I'm gonna want to look deeper, and I want to find where there's like, yeah, like you said, like that weed bed or that vegetation all the way at the bottom. Yeah, this time of year when it's this hot and the water temperatures are getting this warm, try going deeper. I think you'll see um, a huge benefit. And the other thing, too, is if you want to ditch the bobber and you're like, how do I get down to 15, 20 feet? This kind of goes back to the ice fishing thing that you do with your boy, which is great, is you can kind of just anchor off or kind of spot lock with your trolling motor if you have it or whatever it is and kind of like fish like form like you're ice fishing. Just take like a small jig head. Or even an ice fishing jig itself, you know, tipped with a wax worm or like a cricket, uh, you know, small garden earthworms, things like that. And just dangle it down right beneath the boat and you'll start to see them come up and smoke that thing and just keep jigging and keep popping your hand a little bit. It's a good way to control the depth without being in the weeds. Um, If you don't have like slip abbers on the boat or anything like that, you just have a traditional bobber. It's kind of hard to cast something like that when it's when you're getting that far down. So just jig it like you would ice fishing. Just stay there and get over that weed bed and don't be in the weeds, but just be just above it and you'll you'll see those fish chase up after it. Awesome. I'm marking all this stuff down. Go deeper when it's hot out. I like that idea. And I love that idea or the uh, tactic you had. Just anchor up and then, yeah, play the jig game even without the, the bobber. That's going to be – yeah. And it's yeah. going to be something to keep him occupied because at least at that point he's exactly. got to pay attention to it. Yeah, exactly. And then if you know there's a lot of panfish or perch or crappie in that lake, they'll be in those weeds, and then you guys will just you'll just be taking fish off the whole time while they're jigging. So. And I tell you, you said like the traditional way of just frying them up. That's that's my oldest's my oldest. That's his favorite way to have fish. I mean, hot oil. He's got to hear that sizzle, and he loves a nice crispy piece of fish that's his go-to he likes that even more than venison which you know at one point he was like i don't like deer meat and it was just like what have i done how do i when in the field how do i accuracy and precision i think he's that's why we switch our slug guns to rifle barrels tune our arrows and use a fish finder on the wall but why should our drive for control end there the tapicue line of meat probes gives an instantaneous look at the temperatures of our prized meals both internal and the things like that it's a good like tapicue uses sturdy hard made and assembled you know, here in the U.S., the along with their, their user-friendly, like sophisticated software that connects to your great. smart Everybody device. Whether it's a traditional corded probe tacos, or the new cordless air probes that give you a wealth of freedom where wires would just get in the way. 
Adding a Tapacu meat probe right, can significantly help this, in getting to that medium rare on venison or waterfowl, of my ensuring your upland bird stays moist, or even charting your long hey, cooks on a smoker. Visit tapacu.com or find the link in the show and use the code HUNT10, all uppercase, at checkout to save 10%. Adding a probe to your kit can make you one tap away from your key. This is where you're going to have to explain to me. I'm going to give you a scenario, and then you're going to have to explain the dish that you would make or have someone else make for you, depending on the scenario here. Okay. How much time do you spend? I guess I should start out with that. Um, Welcome to the Hunt of Orb Podcast, you know what? I spend, powered by Sportsman's I, I Nation, it's, uh, where we celebrate it's a the hunting and fishing me. lifestyle uh, you could ask through my the wife, utilization I a lot of and consumption of our wild game. That I cook, no egos, fork in hand, fish and beer and like that. Other. No status. Um, a piece of red like meat on a hot grill and turn it into a burn offering. Just catch with it, depending, cut it, uh, cook it. This is episode 76, Pursuing Panda On this episode of Hunt of Nick is joined by Lee Klein. Fellow podcast host of Freshwater so Bite and Michigan Life Outdoors on Sportsman's Nation. He's an avid um, you know, angler, a great way to and he hails from the east side of the state here in Michigan, the enjoying the amazing it's opportunities good. that the good. Great Lake provides. Well, then I'm excited for these scenarios. Together, it's these two unpack the challenges of the Great Lakes okay. face I'm looking with environmental impacts and the impact of invasive non-native species day on the water, that have worked into the watershed. And you are After that downer, Lee goes on about the bountiful species that are available and how a hungry angler could seemingly never get bored chasing so many fish. Nick I focuses on his favorite catch, panfish in inland lakes. And I wouldn't try it. Wanting to improve his boomer bus trips, Leek gives Nick fillets. some pointers and tactics and what on I chasing those bluegills and Finally, the guys wrap um, up with their talk like a on a different preparation foil. for walleye the, uh, the, other than fry. All this and more on the next episode and what I would of Huntable. I would prepare the fillets well, hey, folks, in two different bowls with evening I would dip here it in the state of Michigan. Maybe eggs, maybe on the little sticky side, the swampy then side. Then I would go to a, a bowl of like real crushed crackers. Heat. You could do like, like Ritz crackers, I think today's or you could we do like panko, or today panko, we uh, mid eighties, you know, crumbs. But man, um, I'm, I'm a good one is pool, like uh, Italian breadcrumbs. That's a good one as well. And I'm, I can't um, tell. So the I would dip it in one of those. Quick timeout. Just how are you leaving the? Are you leaving the skin on? Are you scaling but it? At the same or is this time, I got the uh, thermosel going. You've taken no, off the mosquitoes it's flying clean. around. It's clean. And it I'm is a white flaky on both sides. Fillet. Sportsman's Nation and, and, and podcast. The reason why I'll tell you here in a second. Lee, but Lee, how do you the, say the your reason last name? I, I don't like to leave the only fish that I really leave. You got it right, man. Yeah, that's like that's probably the lake trout or salmon. Oh man, that's kind of good. Quick stab at it. So Lee, what's your go-to on walleye? Are being, for me being around the lakes, I'm pretty so sure that you are infested that you can enjoy with everything the whole thing. People don't get like grossed out by seeing the skin or anything yeah, like so, that. You know, so I, part, I just take it, take it right off. It is 100% white meat all the way the through. So, um, you know, whatever. Gotcha. Like, but I just, skin, so, so after I dip it in on those, whatever my crossing like that, like you're in the backwoods, but put it on at times that I like with the olive oil down on there. And then I put it in the oven for about 20 minutes. I put it in there for about 12 minutes. Oh, there you go. 350, 400, depending on how fast you want to cook it. 
That's right. Don't be afraid. With of five minutes left, I gotcha. pull it yeah, back I'm rocking out. my thermocell. It's, uh, it's a good little tool. I'm also wearing, just like you I said, the all butter the over non-toxic the stuff. The, my wife is very good on picking and then I put which Parmesan items are going to be top. our topicals. I back in the so I am, I'm currently covered in eucalyptus. It seems to be working. It could be the thermocell. I'm one that's like, I mean, DEET works and I'll deal with cancer later. Maybe that's a bad mentality. But, you know, like a solid Layer of yeah, but I want parmesan something that's going to work. And that butter so just like kind of soaks the, down the in there. That Parmesan cheese traps it down in there. Sun and then when you right? pull it out, so we don't want to just come you, off the water. It's going to smell up the whole house like and cool down like heaven. It's going to it's going to so be amazing. So a lot of the times, which is good for a good. And usually, what I'll do with that is like. You know, they will serve that with like long sleeve, um, really light sweet potatoes, the sweet potato um, mash you know, that are as what they call it, like um, up to 40 or 50, for, almost like uh, the Colombian kids or your wife or something really like that. Like stretchy um, and light. Or just yeah. a light bed of rice. So like, parachuting. Um, you yeah, a lot of that. Lime rice or whatever. Yeah, times, but when you cut into that, A, you feel light after you eat it. You don't feel like that heavy, like deep fried feeling where you're like, oh, I just ate a bunch of fried fish or a hood on fried or something like that. And it goes good with like mosquitoes for some reason. Light beer or a glass of like red back wine, of your neck or whatever you're like that. If you throw that hood up, meal is. a lot of the times, and it's a different, um, unique way because a lot of people think like I caught a walleye, I got a fish, I got to fry it and batter um, and then and then fry it for purpose. So it's protection this from you, the sun. This and way, also, there's a lot of flavor. So hot and sweaty, and it's super light. And at the end of the day, it protects you from the bugs. You feel like if you're out there, you eat something somewhat decently healthy rather than just a bunch of like fried. I'm all about multitaskers. Even though you just said throw a whole bunch. It also, I mean, I need an update on my world. The butter is, they start uh, to depending fall apart after a while, so far you, you want to take it. You bit. want a lot of butter cool. Yeah, you want, like, I usually just do wet. light like, butter. It's kind of like, right? you're not like dumping it on the shirt. It's like drizzling it back and forth one. over the top. Striker ice gotcha. makes good stuff, But no, that whole presentation sounds incredible. And like you said, yeah, it takes that heavy, thick... Well, hey, Hot we're oil here business out to of talk about something that's our great be state of crispy and being in it's Michigan. Gonna be light. We you're going to get that richness almost from all the butter of the, the same time. You're going to have those notes with the exception of, the of cheese, which I just can not get. But we at least have um, a hand. That is in that's an awesome being a part dish of all these. Yeah, and when it, our whole, landscape and when, even and when it flakes off, like like you've got that cross layer Parmesan cheese away from a piece of I like cheese that has like a little bit of brown to it after it comes out of the oven. So when it flakes apart kind of like off that parmesan so cheese and then you get like a scoop of rice with it. is a thing that right we just on. constantly live with but that's with phenomenal. that comes so many opportunities. Yep. Second one. This and one's going to be a little Lee, bit more you personal. my friend. You're a guy okay. who this spends one is most of his days every off misses. chance that he gets. You're going to be kids, the dogs, uh, everybody the is What uh, are you away. heading to some secret it's spot on you some inland lady or are you shooting you are going to be cooking big deep water being in house one of the great nights. Where are you head to grandma's? Yeah. What are so you most of my experience, to be honest with for you, is probably on the, the Great Lakes. That's going to just make this date go. Just um, right. a little bit about myself. I and grew I'm up in open this up Michigan to and, full spectrum. Uh, you know, being of right by Lake I won't Erie, condense you down to fish. You get the like full spectrum. Area. Um, um, you know, that wasn't more than like you said, ten twenty minute drive away. The favorite thing. So you know, when I first started fishing, I kind of comes from fishing. You know, the bigger bodies of water. It could be whatever. It could be, this could be, uh, you know, this could be for elk or whatever. But I'm, like, uh, I'm here in Michigan, so I got white tail and fish and things like that. And what I do, um, bodies is something I started doing. You know, for the most part right now, I'm fishing the big waters. When it comes to taking off your back city, 
for uh, you've seen a lot of people start to do this and uh, you make tomahawk steaks out of them so you leave the rib cage on basically so instead of instead of cutting that back strap off the whole way down and chunk of meat and then you you slice it up and cook it either like one big steak or like little individual steaks i do it with that rib that's always like being essentially located at or at least you know more what i do is it's it's one of those times a special event season it with your favorite steak seasoning i mean small montreal steak seasoning or got some kind of herbs that you want to put on there but i put it on the trigger for a slow cook of a, a steak, meaning of a like task that you're doing what I'll do is I'll cook it for probably close on, to on doing the a half hour stuff. on a low temperature. What, and I just kind of uh, keep putting olive oil on it, kind of putting those seasonings yeah. on it. So um, to answer, I just really um, let that smoke kind of sear the biggest, into it. Best thing for and me then is after like, I take it off and let it sit for a while, I become a better Again, depending on your palate and what you like to eat. But I like my wife and I really like going for where they're at that time of year. Almost like medium um, to medium doing it in a safe manner, but yes. it gives going out it gives the most flavor. And I think it's like um, the number one thing is huge on the where it will turn somebody so off. I've, I've learned to try to be efficient at that. If you overcook um, it, getting more raw, you cook it water. like. Um, if you're like, I like my steak, my, you know, my beef um, steak, w- w- or medium well, you could eat wild game like that, in my opinion, it's going to deter you away from it if you're not a big wild game person. You can just be more efficient. my wife, if it's a date night, is going to be, it's going to be medium, to medium rare. You know, you it's going to be slow cooked. It's going to be rested know, for when like I take it out. You know, you can put it in like a cooler you know, or something like that for about know, five to ten have, minutes. I have a sixteen and, and then, a half uh, yeah, from there we're going to just serve series. it with our favorite side again, um, being aluminum sweet boat, potatoes. But um, another thing that I like huge, to do is serve it with peppers. So what I'll do is I'll cut up like a red pepper or green pepper. Again, grab like a cookie sheet or whatever, line it with tin foil, and then. Drizzle I, that I olive oil on there, if, if, if it's and you cut the you cut the pepper into four like sections that, that look like wind, if that makes sense. Bad, yeah. You know, three three and, foot, and four what foot. What I do is I put um, I just, oregano it's, for me, down it's first. It. Then I drizzle um, it with the top so, of the the peppers with olive oil. I pick my and then I'll put Parmesan cheese and a little bit of mozzarella cheese. And I cook it in the oven for twenty minutes at four hundred. So when you pull them out, it's the smell of roasted red peppers. They're nice and soft, extremely soft. Warnings on our phones. Serve it with like a steak or like those tomahawk venison back shafts that I talked about. You can eat like two or three of them, and the flavor between the oregano and the olive oil and the parmesan cheese on the big water you know like hey i gotta get and my fishing it's, in it's a meal that's right light early at 5 a.m and, uh, again when you get done eating it and uh you, you feel good by 10 a.m and you know the, that's the great i think we're gonna put so a lot of with that don't be intimidated by the big body of water if they just, if people you know, started eating medicine the way that you just described you'll be like that is just to a t sorry about that just make it amazing um, no, yeah, I think, you know, the, the big yeah, thing, too, I, I look at that, I'm just kind of like, there's so many shipwrecks of, like, massive vessels, or any kind of style, it's like, it doesn't take fast for, I'm sure, things to get real dicey, um, don't think you, you gotta think the, the grill to 500 be one of those things, like, shoot, I thought I could take it, but you know, six here's the thing, is now, now I can't get back to me, I've learned to be more patient, you know, that's one of those situations, but like you said, you know, my meals, keeping your head on your shoulders, and just being proactive, rather than reactive, at that point, you know, it's going to be rising, like, well, hey, let's, uh, let's head on out. A big fish is not a big fish. Yeah, exactly. I was just about to say, no fish is worth the smell of a whip burning. 
you know, like just that. when you go and out there, that, you know, the you other good thing too is maybe a, a better, um, um, you know, like you said, a date night you where know, you're, you're enjoying yourself with maritime or if you want to say that. Um, but just, you know, um, to you know, be in control of that. So when, when I take my kids out, I take my wife out, I take family Amen. members, friends, stuff, stuff like that. Well, Lee, yeah, I definitely, you hit both boat. of those out so, of the ballpark. You know, both the more that I went awesome out on the water, I think I people are going to have great takeaways. You know, Doing something different with fish if, that if picked up, you know, I traditionally say, hey, just gets fried all the time and have a whole new approach to something that's more light and flaky. At the same time, just taking that staple that is a steakhouse meal, your favorite sides, be it asparagus or what you're talking about, your sweet potato mash, and then just having a steak done with time you know, and fishing care. Not you know you don't have quick, to focus get on it out on heat, just focus pull on it off you know and hope that it's your homework the, you, you know, know how the, to the handle that yourself you know what the conditions right are yeah because that more time with those flavors so rather than guessing if it's going to get bad or not well this has been a great night lee along um, with conditions where can my I'm listeners find out more about just calling you so we're going to be on follow along with you and yeah you're in a bunch of places here but on sports nation now what are the two podcasts that you are real thing going on is yeah, so the Freshwater Bite podcast is such a podcast uh, on the sports Large body of water. Uh, if you guys have been there's a lot playing around on there or this, seen this on the website, that's, that was my first podcast. Without and a doubt, we're running today. An and then I just recently um, did another um, podcast here uh, based around the state of Michigan. It's uh, called all the time. Uh, My Life Outdoors or Michigan Life Outdoors. You can find both of those on the Sports Nation, iTunes, Spotify, wherever. There's contaminants. My Instagram right now for Freshwater Bite is just fresh water bite on what Instagram things um, and on Facebook and then and uh, the handle for Instagram for um, Michigan Life Outdoors is just my life outdoors. That it's like, man, um, these are some, yeah, so some you can find me on either one around. of those two places. The yeah. Michigan Life Outdoors, um, I kind of deal the with some local friends that, here that I see and we and just try to keep it as relevant as we can to like what's going on nowadays or present time, how we're preparing for the season and what hunts we have lined up. And we do fishing in there, we do bow fishing, basically the lifestyle style of a Michigander and, uh, you know, bringing them to our so. inland bodies of water. Awesome. Um, well, Lee, this has just been a be great evening, that I see, for and example, like I appreciate the time that you've um, uh, you've taken to just just join, and just chat with yeah. us about those are the, the real, great lakes small and what we can find man, inside. They, they find your so, they find well, on post or second that's in there, and listeners they'll just cut you right up if you drag your arm right across. If you're excited, about getting your out on the lake, I would say this is about the time to do it. It is hot still, so maybe enjoy the ski boat during the middle of the day, but make sure that when that sun it sounds like going very down clear, but has a lot of rocks on the bottom and things like that. Go a little these muscles will, the these zebra muscles will attach to there and they'll be in there. You can cover but the entire when it comes surface. Time to fly them, so let's say, you oh, know, for example, an, in, an inland body yeah. of water that you used to swim as a kid or something like that, and you go back and you start to see these things on rocks. Well, now if you're swimming, you got to kind of be, you know, get pay attention because a lot of the times those things can be sharp. If you step on them, you can cut your foot up. Um, when they die, those shells wash the shore. So that nice sandy beach that you used to have before becomes, you know, infested with these dead zebra mussels that are, you know, it's like little shards of glass almost, you know what I mean? Like when you walk on, so they're tough to walk on and things like that. That would be the number one thing that I've seen are these zebra mussels showing up everywhere. Um, and what they do is they filter the water in a way of like, they suck out all the nutrients, good nutrients in water that a lot of native species and native fish need in order to grow a healthy and, you know, prosperous kind of, you know, life cycle. So they're sucking out algae. They're like algae filters. Um, if they take all that good algae away and, and, and suck that through, 
than the the new fry of like let's say your your perch or your bluegill or your walleye or something like that they rely on that algae and that nutrients to be in the water in order for them to grow and eat and things like that well if they're sucking all that away that's going to start to directly impact your you know your fishing right you're not going to have those those good numbers that you may have had it in the past or if you notice that you, you used to catch a ton as a kid now it's a little bit different um so these zebra mussels they they like clean up the water and some people are like wow the lakes in michigan are so clear you know i had no idea a lot of these you know inland bodies of water look like caribbean water and things like that well if you look in that quote-unquote caribbean water that looks so pretty look at the bottom look at the the um the logs that are on the bottom they're going to probably going to be covered by these zebra mussels and what that does is that allows more light penetration to get down deeper into the body of water and um i'm trying to think of the name of it you eutrophication i think it's called yeah eutrophication and it's basically like it promotes these huge algae blooms creates dead zones in these bodies of water which leads to low o2 levels which you know if there's low o2 levels fish can't live in those areas of the, of the lake and things like that so zebra mussels are a big pain in the butt dude gotcha man it's amazing how something that's i mean no bigger than your fingernail that you're like, how can that be such a deal? And it's maybe not just the size of one particular zebra mussel. It's the fact that there's billions and billions of these things that, yeah, like you just said, can basically vacuum up a, a body of water to basically then have all these problems. Right. And it's really, you know, it's deceiving because, like I said earlier, some people are loving the clear water and they're like, wow, swimming in such clear water, this is great. Well, if you're an angler locally and you see a decline in your perch population or, you know, walleye are taking a very, very, very long time to get to a, a size where you can, you know, you feel comfortable taking some home, it, it becomes frustrating. And, you know, it's it's tough. And I'm not pay, placing blame on anybody. We're all at fault. You know, they, they come in on our boats, um, they, you know, people transfer them unknowingly to other bodies of water. That's why it's important to, you know, when you get your boat out of the water, make sure you pull your plug, drain it completely, dry it out. Make sure you wipe down, wash the bottom of your your um, your boat, things like that, before you go into another body of water or another lake, because those things can travel with that boat, and then you're dumping it into another lake that may not have had any zebra mussels. So. Man, just one of those, like, oh, do I really have to do this? Yeah. Yeah, you do. Otherwise, you're going to cause a problem. It only takes one. Yeah, and you'll see them at uh, Michigan boat launches. You know, and you're, go to your local body of water there and go to your public launch and things like that. There's signs there, um, and they've got them pretty visible now. They're right in front of your face as soon as you launch. Like when you're getting your boat ready and you're starting to back down and you get out to get your straps off and, you know, get everything ready to launch your boat, put your plug in, those, those signs are getting bigger and bigger, and they're making sure that, you know, you know what you're doing. They want to make it very, you know, very visible for you to, to read those signs. So um, especially if you're going to a body of water or an inland lake that you may not have been to before, I always go over to those launch signs, those DNR posts, those, those boards, and like to see, like, what species are in here? What's the max depth? You know what I mean? Like, you, you should look at some of that stuff before you launch your boat in there and kind of get a lay of the land before you just drop your boat in anywhere. And, uh, yeah, I think it was like, I read somewhere before Nick that Lake Michigan's water clarity has increased from like 13 feet to 31 feet. I think I read somewhere. 
oh over the goodness. course of like over the course of like five or six years or something like that, just from these zebra mussels. So, yeah, they're a pain in the booty. Yeah, man, has there been any steps towards finding some sort of solution, or is it just one of those things like they're here and now we just need to live with them? They're here. They they reproduce and. You know, their numbers happen so fast. It's like, I don't, in my opinion, there's no way to eradicate them ever. Um, you just got to slow the spread, um, do what we can. There are some, they do have some predators. I know like gobies eat them. Um, I want to say drums eat them and some other fish and things like that. But they're not making a dent. And like a lot of the power plants and stuff like that, like their water intakes, they've got to spend like millions of dollars every, every year to clear them off because these zebra mussels stick to them and then they can't take their water in anymore to cool whatever they're cooling. So they spend a lot of money like, cause their pipes run underwater, you know? So, right. and they attach to anything that's hard. So I know they spend a lot of money. Not that that's, you know, that we care, but yeah, that's, I know they don't like them either. Yeah. That was definitely the bummer side. I wanted to start off with that just to be like, Hey, these amazing pieces of, of environment, these amazing pieces of water um, that they are being threatened on many different levels and many different areas. But at the same time, they are an absolute sportsman's playground. How many different species do you chase down, Lee, on any given piece of a a great lake? I know like there's, there are multiple species that are all uh, chase worthy. Yeah. So like if you were to, if I were to break it down to like Haley, what kind of guy are you? Are you a salmon guy? Are you a lake trout guy? Are you a walleye guy? I would say you know sixty percent of me is probably walleye. Um, I love walleye. I'm addicted to them. I, I love chasing them. I love the the constant you know cat and mouse. How they change with the the conditions, the temperature, the time of year, all that kind of stuff. They're a lot a lot of fun to catch, and they taste really good which we'll get into that later. But, um, you know, from there, I would say I like to chase salmon um, a lot of the times in the, the late summer, um, you know, inland bodies of water. I'll do some, uh, some, some bluegill and some perch fish and things like that. A lot of things that I could do with my kids. But, you know, 60% of the time I'm chasing walleye. Um, but, you know, me as an angler, that's, that's what I love about fishing and that's what I love about the state of Michigan is there's so many different opportunities for to find what you like to go after, but also if you get bored with something or you want to challenge yourself, there is a ton of opportunity to challenge yourself, whether that be, Hey, I'm going to go chase salmon. I've never done salmon before. Um, or I'm going to go into the inland streams and rivers and things like that. I want to, I want to chase brown trout. I want to do, um, steelhead, things like that. Uh, you can go catch carp on a fly rod up in uh, a lot of the flats now in like Lake Michigan um, and the UP just over the bridge and things like that. I mean, there are so many different opportunities in the state of Michigan and it's endless. And we're, we're actually truly blessed to live in this state. And if you do live in this state, you can change it up at any time to, uh, you know, to, to challenge yourself. And that's what I'm doing. I'm, I'm evolving as an angler. I'm constantly, figuring out new ways to catch fish, talking to different people um, on the podcast, uh, you know, finding out their backstories and things like that and why they fish the way they fish. And hopefully, you know, you guys can relate to that. But um, the, the, the opportunity in Michigan is, is endless. 
That's so cool. I'm getting goosebumps as you're just talking about that. Just to be like, we've got such an awesome uh, bounty that's out there for us to chase and to be able to then, you know, if I'm if I am getting bored with one, I mean, how can you get bored? But anyway, uh, you're you're done with one species and you can shift gears and chase something completely sure. different. That you know, it's it's not even going from checkers to chess. It's a completely different game of chess because now they're going to react in a different way to whatever you present to them. That's so cool. Yeah, I mean, well, our palette changes too throughout the year, right? So if you want like a white flaky fish, um, you know, you can do perch, walleye, whitefish. But then like, you know, a lot of people don't, re- I mean, I think people realize, but, you know, salmon is here. I mean, think about that. Most people throughout the rest of the United States have to get their salmon from one of the coasts, right? Either East Coast or West Coast, you know, predominantly probably more of the West Coast, Alaska. When people think of salmon, they think of you know, Alaska, you know, Oregon, Washington, you know, that kind of stuff. But really in the state of Michigan, we have them here in our Great Lakes and we can go chase them at any time that we want to for the most part. And, you know, late spring to to fall time. And you can, you know, put a, a decent amount in your freezer. So if it is November or December and you're like, hey, I'm in the mood for salmon, uh, your, your wife or whoever, you can go in the freezer and, and grab some fillets and you caught that here locally. And I'd say some of those fish, I've only been on one charter outing on the big lake. Uh, went for a buddy's birthday. Uh, we all head out on, on there. It was pretty rocky and wavy. I took my Dramamine. I learned about uphill and downhill on that, that there is an uphill. Or you, you start downhill, and then when he turned that boat around, he told us, hey, we're going to start going uphill. And <laughs> Man, the front of that nose on that boat was just rocking and rolling. Um, we are—I think we were also really successful because I did chum the water quite vigorously. Oh, did you lose it? Oh yeah, all over oh. the place. I tried so hard. I was like, I'm not going to eat a ton. I ate the night before, and then I was just chewing on jerky. I needed something. I could see shore. I've got a pretty—I got a weak stomach, but if I'm—I've got a couple tips and tricks that I give myself when I'm at least on deeper water i'm like always always look at the at shore if you can find it find something stable sit towards the back of the boat but all of it just it was for not i ended up throwing up <laughs> off the back of the boat and the well, first the you, first mate was giving me are bad because you're dehydrated a lot of the time. oh yeah i can imagine i didn't i only had like one or two beers it was not gonna it was not a drinking fest but i can only imagine having like five or six of them and just being absolutely miserable yeah. Yeah. It's something that like, you know, th- that's another good thing. I, I mean, don't feel, uh, so if you don't have a big boat or you don't feel like, well, like, well, I can't go get salmon. I love supporting local or our, our charter captains. I mean, they live and die by those salmon for a lot of the times their years do their, their, I mean, that's how they make their money. So if it costs you, you know, you, you and your buddy split a charter and it costs each guy 150 bucks or something like that or 120 bucks, think about that. You're getting fresh salmon from a lake that you know where that meat has been and it's going back home to your freezer. I mean, if you go to the local supermarket, you're spending 20 to $40, depending on your grade of salmon, just to grab and go home. Why not go catch it yourself and then also at the same time support your fellow small business owners here in the state of Michigan? You don't have to have a big boat. You can get on their big boat and pay $150, um, you know, a year to go out and throw some in the freezer. Yeah. Amen to that. And, I mean, pulling up one of those those salmon 
when you fly off that side, you think about, well, what's my return on investment if you're going to go that kind of route? I mean, some of the halves, some of the fillets alone is like the size of one of the wild turkeys you just spent, I don't know how many weeks chasing. Like, and you got that in an, in an afternoon and to pull up, you know, four of those puppies, you're going to end up with a mess of salmon. You will not be without. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, if it's you and your wife or you and your kids, you know, one side, one fillet of a salmon could feed the entire family. Like if you cut it into, you know, nice, you know, four inch or five inch sections, you know, that could feed a whole family for one night, depending on the size of your family. So it's not like, you know, you just don't think of it as like, I caught one fish, so I'm only going to be able to eat one time. Like you can have multiple meals off that fish. Oh, for sure. For sure. But you, we were talking at the uh, beginning, too. Like, man, just like with everything, of course, there's never one definitive answer. Of course, there's going to be two sides to everything. And we were talking a little bit on how bigger isn't always better. When it's coming to fish, there's a couple things we run into with bigger, older fish. Um, I recently read this article, and, and actually I saw a breakdown of mercury content in larger fish versus smaller fish that you have kind of like this contamination sink in some of these larger predatory fish but it doesn't really affect or it's more what do i want to say diluted in the smaller um feeder fish what's your opinion on on some of these contaminants how how would you suggest someone approach this yeah so this is one of those subjects that's like you know you're going to get a bunch of different answers from different anglers um throughout the state of michigan or just in general actually but you know typically the larger predators are going to have the higher levels of mercury and things like that so let's say you know for salmon i mean i don't think you would see i'm not a doctor and this is just my opinion i don't think you would see any like negative consequences if you you know you ate salmon you know, two days a week for two weeks in a row. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think you're going to be like glowing by the end of the two weeks, but you know, at the same time, just do your research. you like, you know, you probably don't want to feed a ton of it to your kids or something like that. Um, if you're super worried about it, you know, just do it in doses. Like just, I guess for me too, at the same time, it never really crosses my mind, um, coming from like Lake Michigan and things like that. Um, you know, definitely pay attention to like your inner rivers. I would say I would look to that more. Um, if you're eating a lot of fish out of the rivers and things like that, um, pay attention to, you know, what industries around there, um, you know, call up your local biologist, fishing biologist, DNR biologist, get their opinion on, um, different inland bodies of water and streams and rivers and things like that. Um, and then make your own educated decision. I'm not going to tell anybody like how they should eat, or how they should, you know, how often they should eat their, their wild game or their, their fish that they catch. I just think that if you, if you're super worried about it, just take it in strides, take it in doses. And then getting back to what you were talking about earlier, this is always a good way to, to eliminate or help alleviate the fears of mercury contamination, which like bigger is not always better. So if you catch a huge fish, let's say you catch a, 28 30 inch walleye that fish is going to probably have a lot more mercury content than if you were to catch you know a bunch of 17 to 21 inch walleye 
those are the walleye that I try to keep, which are the smaller ones, the 15 inches to, you know, 21, 22 inches, 23 inches. If you get much bigger than that, you got to ask yourself, are you out here to catch monsters to throw on your wall, get a cool photo with? Um, or are you out here because you want to put meat in the freezer or you want to take some stuff home with your family? If that's what your, your goal is, is to take meat home, I would suggest, this is just my opinion, keep the fish that are smaller in size, you know, that, that 15 inch to 21 inch, 22 inch range, keep a bunch of those. You'll, if, if you're super worried about the mercury content, you'll sleep better at night knowing that there's not high levels of mercury in them. But if you're like, man, I want the biggest fish. I only want to keep, you know, 28 inch fish or whatever it is for walleye. Well, then that's fine. But you're putting yourself, you know, at risk for those higher mercury contents. So it's to each their own, but I, I typically don't worry about it. I love that approach that you put, put on that, that it's, you know what, if you, if you want, if this, you know, depending on what you want to do, you want the pictures, you want the wall mounters, Hey, Go find the big lunkers. But if it's something you want to eat, yeah, aim for something that's a little more plentiful, but at the same time not near the age class that, that you're looking at the, at there on those fish. And, in fact, you know, going multiple a little bit smaller is probably going to be a better payout. I, I really appreciate that. I think that's a really good way uh, to approach that. As one who would be going strictly for the meat, like that, that's going to pay out, I think, in dividends. Yeah, and I think if you did that, you I mean, I wouldn't worry about any kind of contaminants after that mercury levels or anything like that. Just you know, you you know what you're after, and you know that uh, you know you're not keeping the biggest fish, so you'd be fine. Just wanted to take a time out and say thank you to the listeners for tuning in. It really does mean a lot. I would also appreciate that if you haven't already left a rating or review, uh, to go ahead and do that. It all helps folks find us and get on board using and enjoying their wild game more. Feel free to chat with us and ask questions either on Facebook, The Huntivore, or Instagram, at Huntivore. Got a recipe you think is dynamite and want to share? Or have some show topic ideas? Email us at Huntivore at gmail.com. For even more hunting and fishing podcasts by real, relatable sportsmen, head over to Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, which happens to be a 2% for conservation company who give 1% of their earnings and 1% of their time helping out the wildlife and wild places we all love. Now, back to the show. I think you already alluded to it a little bit further, or a little bit earlier. Um, favorite fish to chase. You're a walleye guy. Mm-hmm. What's what's it like chasing a walleye? Like what what is your game plan for that? As a self-proclaimed worm dunker, um, like I I see how many different approaches that different anglers take. What's kind of like your game book plan that you go for for walleye? Yeah, what do you want? What time of year? Like, because I chase them all the time of year. I'll, well, it depends on to, different times of year. Holy smokes! Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I'm I ice fish for them. Um, I I I jig for them uh, in the spring when they're spawning. I troll for them at the the end of spring, beginning of summer. Um, you know, I get back. In, I don't. I guess I should say I don't chase them as much in the fall because a lot of times is when I start to focus on um, you know deer and things like that, but 
I, you know, I, I enjoy chasing them in all types of conditions. Um, ice fishing is a great time. Um, probably the best way if you haven't caught walleye before and you live near, uh, you know, an, an inland body of water that, you know, has them, my suggestion to you is like, start with ice fishing because they, they're very active underneath the ice they're i wouldn't say they're easy to catch but you can throw some tip ups up there um you know find those weed edges or those breaks and uh throw some uh some minnows tipped or tip ups tipped with minnows and just sit back and start to figure out you know their pattern and um it's a great way to kind of like introduce yourself to that uh you know again living in the state of michigan you know specifically down here where i live on lake erie detroit river we have probably the world's biggest population of walleye. We have a walleye factory in Lake Erie and a really another good time of year for beginners to go after walleye would be to go on the Detroit river in, um, in April. They're coming up the river to spawn. They're in there by the hundreds of thousands. So there's a ton of them in there. And uh, all you do is basically just take a one ounce jig head um, tip with like a soft plastic minnow, four inch minnow body, um, darker colors work best, uh, for the most part. And what you do is you just go up the Detroit river, kind of find, like go towards not close to shore, but like, I don't know, 20 foot, 20, 20 to 15 foot area. And you just jig up and down and that's all you got to do. You just got to kind of keep your boat kind of going down with the current. So your jig head stays somewhat straight up and down. And you just tap that jig head off the bottom, hit the bottom, pick it up, hit the bottom, pick it up. And within a few minutes, you'll be hooked into walleye and you'll, you'll easily get your limit for the day and be able to go home and, you know, flame up and fill your freezer with some walleye. That's, that's probably the best beginner way uh, between ice fishing and jigging for them in the spring to kind of get that, to catch that walleye bite. That's a huge event. I got buddies and guys that, I mean, they look forward to, I quote unquote opening day of of walleye. They they get prepped weeks in advance to come over there uh, in the springtime to do that. That's like there's a lot of boats that are all in that uh, channel at one time. Am I right? Oh, dude! Everyone jokes that you can like you can skip across the river to get to like Roseal or something like that by jumping boat to boat. <laughs> there's so many boats, and uh, it, it it is a good time, and a lot of people do look forward to it. You'll see when you go there. You'll see license plate from Kentucky, Tennessee, um, Arkansas, uh, Iowa, you know, everywhere. It, it is a national treasure that run um, every year. And it's like I said, it's it's a great way because it's not hard fishing, meaning like you don't have to be super knowledgeable about it. The fish are concentrated in that river, um, you know, dropping down that one inch jig head uh, tipped with the middle body. You're going to most likely get hit and you're going to, you're going to have a blast doing it, bringing them up from the bottom. And, uh, it is a great introduction to walleye. That's so cool. It falls right into, I think my style where I can drop a line in, like you said, you feel it at the bottom and then you just pick it up. If I just can Mm -hmm. give, if I can sit there and just give a little action to the rod, like that's, that's kind of my wheelhouse right now. And to know that that is still someplace successful. That's, that's awesome. Yeah, it, it is such a good time. Great way to get kids introduced to it as well. So, so we've talked about a lot of different fish and kind of like the 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 palate there. I mean, specifically with salmon versus walleye. 
What's your favorite to eat? Are you still sticking with the white flaky, or are you moving more to the uh, the oily side, being on on the salmon? Yeah, so my palate changes all the time. I, I'm not sure if yours does, but you know, I I sometimes I get burnt out, or I'm, I want to change it up and things like that. So I'll go in the freezer and grab something different. I like everything. I'll I'll eat walleye. Um, you know, there's a lot of different ways that you can prepare white flaky fish you can bake them you can fry them which is like the traditional way a lot of people realize um or if you go to like a your local bar or church fish fry a lot of times they're just deep fried but like dude people might think i'm weird for this but i like even lake trout like i'll eat lake trout on the grill any 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 time like i i'll eat it no matter what because it is it is a different taste it's something that it doesn't bother me um uh, same thing that goes with salmon, you know, having it over a bed of rice. For the most part, you don't really put, like, uh, like walleye over, like, a bed of rice or something like that. Like, you can get really creative in your culinary skills if you like to to, to cook um, based off of what how your palate changes. Like, you know, typically in the wintertime, like, it's really good to have, like, deep-fried fish because, it, like, it's a comfort food. It, like, warms you up. You know, you having the fryer going – it just kind of reminds you of like different times of the year, but then like when it starts to get hot out, um, you know, I like to put things on the grill. And for the most part, when I put it on the grill, like salmon and lake trout taste great on the grill. So it just depends on the time of year. My palate constantly changes, but I'm down to eat whatever. <laughs> and it's actually, got fins and gills. It's on your plate, eh? Yeah. And actually, you know what? One of my favorite fish to eat, a lot of people might think this is weird too, but it's called burbot. You know what a burbot is? That, um, I think I've, kind of seen it i've seen a lot of stuff from like the ice ice fishing stuff over in minnesota they i think they have a do they have more burbot over there than we do here in michigan uh probably we got a pretty decent burbot depending on your inland lake or even great lake that you fish out of but burbot look disgusting and i'll just say it i mean anybody listening is google burbot and you'll see what i'm talking about basically it looks like kind of like a dogfish almost but when you bring them up you're like there's no way you're going to eat this but everyone calls it this is like, if I get if I catch a burbot, I'm like, honey, we're eating good tonight because it tastes like um, poor man's lobster is what they call it. It tastes like lobster. Oh, it, man. It, it is so good, dude. I'm telling you, if if you catch a burbot, you're a lucky person, and you gotta you gotta you know be thankful you caught that thing because you just caught oh you know a lottery ticket in my opinion. Um, now, burbot is a, great tasting. Is that an inland lake find or is that a big laker? Uh, most people find them in the inland lakes, I would say. If uh, ice fishing is another time of year where you'll catch a ton of them um, at night, if you, if you have uh, if you know that they're in your lake, uh, you know I catch I used to catch them in uh, up in the Grand Traverse area in the bays. So that is another good area if you're thinking like bigger bodies of water, um, dude. You will not be disappointed. They honestly taste like lobster. That's awesome. I just got into the ice fishing game this this year. I had to. I wanted to pick something up that uh, was something that my boys and I could go do, and so we're still getting our feet wet, literally and figuratively, um, in in ice fishing. So to know like there's something else I can chase other than just the bluegill and throw the tip up up for a pike, but now I can even try to find this poor man's lobster. Like now oh, I'm even. Yeah. I'm even more on fire now to get the <laughs> to get the rigs Dude, ready to go. A, a couple of years ago at salmon cap camp, me and my buddies fried up some burbot that I had in the freezer, and 
we didn't touch the fresh salmon that we had. We just kept that on ice to take home with us. We ate the bourbon and we were like in heaven. It was the best. It was probably hands down top five best meals I've ever had in my life was standing over a campfire um, on the west side of Michigan, uh, salmon fishing. You know, we came back from the day and we fried up some bourbon in a skillet or I'm sorry, in a, a cast iron pan. It was phenomenal. Oh, man. That's that's just the best stories right there. I love it. Yeah. So like I was saying earlier, too, I am the self-proclaimed worm dunker. If I can rock a bobber and a little uh, split shot uh, weight and a hook, I'm, I can understand that system. That's what I got down. But I'm also very hot and cold. Like there are days that I'll go out with the boys, and it's like all I do is just unhook fish, add on another wax worm, and they cast them back out. And I, I love those days. And then there's other days where... Man, we just sit out there, and nothing's happening. Pretty soon they're getting bored, and they start fighting with each other, and then you know the day kind of goes on from there because we just couldn't find the fish. What, what would be something that you would give a novice like me? Like, here are some things that you should do to help scout some water and to find more panfish. Yeah. So let's just take, let's just take like this time of year, right? Where it's kind of getting into the dog days of summer where it's, you know, things are getting hot and things like that. One, I would say fish early in the morning. And if you've got young kids and they're not up that early, then wait to go at night. Like if you're on a body of water, on an inland body of water, wait till the boat traffic is done from all the skiers and stuff like that. Wait till the wind dies down a little bit and go out like an hour and a half before sunset. The wind typically dies down. You want that lake to kind of lay a little bit more flat and calm. And then depending on what you have in your boat, meaning like if you have a, if you have a fish finder or a graph that'll tell you like what that bottom is like, yeah. I would, I, do you have one or no? Uh, the boat that I borrow does. Okay. So one thing you want to look for on there is you want to kind of drive around the, the outskirts of the lake and you want to find where the vegetation's at. So you want to find where there's sunken weeds, kind of. Not not necessarily lily pads, because that'll be tough with a bobber and worm, and kids, you'll be getting snagged all the time. But you want to find where the sunken weed beds are. And typically, it kind of looks like um, like lettuce underwater, if that makes sense. Yeah. Or like r- really, really fine, small, little weeds. And what you want to do is you want to find them in the deeper body deeper part of the lake what i mean by that is you don't want to be super close to shore where you're fishing in like five feet of water this time of year you want to go out deeper in that like 15 to 20 foot kind of area and if you can see the 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 seaweed down at the bottom or you can mark it on your graph and you can see that it comes up off the bottom you know two three feet we'll set your bobber depth or your slip bobber depth for you know right around that area to be above those weeds and that a lot of the time is, you know, panfish for the most part, they they get scooped up a lot by a lot of predators. So they're always looking to hide. So a lot of the times, though, even though you can see the weeds down there and you're not seeing or marking any fish, they're in there. Especially if you know it's a lake that has a lot of panfish or perch or crappie or whatever it is, dangle that worm or um, that wax worm or whatever it is above that weed bed by getting as close as you can do it, but not like being in it where you get snagged up. And a lot of the times you'll see those, those aggressive bluegills, crappie perch are going to come swooping up after your bait and, and you'll get smoked right there. 
awesome. See, that's pro- I've always been one to be like, well, let's hang, let's go by this dock. Like maybe I was thinking because I've seen, you know, bass fishing episodes as a kid, and thinking like, oh, well, if I just go by these docks or if I just go by this uh, little area that look like beds, this might be a hot spot. But that's almost in complete reverse i'm gonna want to look deeper and i want to find where there's like yeah like you said like that weed bed or that vegetation all the way at the bottom yeah this time of year when it's this hot and the water temperatures are getting this warm try going deeper i think you'll see um a huge benefit and the other thing too is if you want to ditch the bobber and you're like how do i get down to 15 20 feet this kind of goes back to the ice fishing thing that you do with your boy which is great is you can kind of just anchor off or kind of spot lock with your trolling motor if you have it or whatever it is and kind of like fish like form like you're ice fishing just take like a small jig head or even an ice fishing jig itself you know tipped with a wax worm or like a cricket uh you know small garden earthworms things like that and just dangle it down right beneath the boat and you'll start to see them come up and smoke that thing and just keep jigging and keep popping your hand a little bit. It's a good way to control the depth without being in the weeds. Um, if you don't have like slip bobbers on the boat or anything like that, you just have a traditional bobber. It's kind of hard to cast something like that when it's when you're getting that far down. So just jig it like you would ice fishing. Just stay there and get over that weed bed and don't be in the weeds, but just be just above it and you'll, you'll see those fish chase up after it. Awesome. I'm marking all this stuff down. Go deeper when it's hot out. I like that idea. And I love that idea or the uh, tactic you had. Just anchor up and then, yeah, play the jig game even without the, the bobber. That's going to be yeah. And it's yeah. going to be something to keep him occupied because at least at that point he's exactly. got to pay attention to it. Yeah, exactly. And then if you know there's a lot of panfish or perch or crappie in that lake, they'll be in those weeds and then you guys will just, you'll just be taking fish off the whole time while they're jigging. So. And I tell you, you said like the traditional way of just frying them up. That's that's my oldest's my oldest. That's his favorite way to have fish. I mean, hot oil. He's got to hear that sizzle, and he loves a nice crispy piece of fish. That's his go-to. He likes that even more than venison. Which, you know, at one point he was like, "I don't like deer meat," and it was just like, "What have I done? How do I <laughs> how do I convince him?" But I think he's deep down. I think he's an angler at heart. Yeah, I mean it's cool to have those memories as a kid. Like I remember the fryer going on in my grandpa's garage. Um, you know, a lot of the times for our birthdays, like I would request, like, you know, my mom's like, well, what do you want to have at the party? I'd be like a fish rod. You know what I mean? Like just things like that. It's a good, like, I don't know, a good memory for them to have, or, you know, relate the smell of the fryer to their childhood, things like that. There's nothing wrong with frying up fish. It tastes great. Everybody tends to eat them. You can throw them on tacos, dip them in tartar sauce, whatever you want to do. But I, panfish is just fry them up well hey we're already starting in on this but we're going to continue on this is the crescendo of my show and this is the two dish breakdown okay this is it steaks cooked medium rare can i get my steak cooked just want no question you hungry hey ma we get some meat loud This is where you're going to have to explain to me. I'm going to give you a scenario, and then you're going to have to explain the dish that you would make or have someone else make for you, depending on the scenario here. Okay. How much time do you spend in the kitchen, Lee? I guess I should start out with that question. Um, you know what? I spend. I I enjoy cooking. It's uh, it's a stress reliever for me. 
Uh, you could ask my wife. I take a lot of pride in the meals that I cook, especially when it comes to wild game and fish and things like that. Um, I like to spend as much time as I can where we're depending uh, to be in the kitchen and serve my kids a, a meal that, that, that maybe they haven't had before prepared in a different way. Um, but I love it. I, you know, it's kind of like chasing fish in Michigan. There's so many different ways that you can prepare things. And if you want to challenge yourself, um, you know, seafood's a great way to, to do that in the kitchen. But I spent a decent amount of time in the kitchen. Nice. Good. Good. Well, then I'm excited for these scenarios because it's going to make you flex bet. Okay. I'm looking for an angler's supper. You've been out on a long day on the water, and you are cooking something. What is the go-to meal of fresh fish that you guys are going to enjoy? Okay. I will – I'll do this. I would do walleye, and I wouldn't fry it. I would leave it in full fillets, and what I would do is I would lay two fillets out on um, – like a cooking pan with tin foil, I would coat the the um, the pan with olive oil, and what I would do is I would prepare the fillets in two different bowls. With I would dip it in um, eggs, stirred up eggs. Then I would go to a, a bowl of like crushed crackers. You could do like Ritz crackers, or you could do like panko panko, uh, you know, crumbs. Um, a good one is like uh, Italian breadcrumbs. That's a good one as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would dip it in one of those. Quick time out. Lay- are yeah. you leaving the? Are you leaving the skin on? Are you scaling it, or is this full on? Like you've just you've taken no, the fillet knife. It's clean. It's clean. It is a white flaky on both sides fillet. And 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 the reason why I'll tell you here in a second, but the the, the reason why I I don't like to leave the the only fish that I really leave the skin on or the the scales on one side is probably either lake trout or salmon. Um, that's kind of like a traditional way to do it. People are used to seeing that, but like the walleye fillet for me is so white and flaky that you can enjoy the whole thing. People don't get like grossed out by seeing the skin or anything like that. So I, I just take it, take it right off. It is 100% white meat all the way through. Um, gotcha. But I just, so after I dip it in those, whatever my crust is going to be, I, I put it on that tin foil with the with the olive oil down on there, and then I put it in the oven for about 20 minutes. Actually, I, I put it in there for about 12 minutes on like 350, 400, depending on how fast you want to cook it. And then with five minutes left, I pull it back out, and I melt butter in the microwave. I dump the butter over the top of the, the fillets. And then I put Parmesan cheese on top. I put it back in the oven for an additional five minutes or until you see that Parmesan cheese on top, not only melt, but start to get crusty almost. You don't want it like mozzarella cheese melting. You want it like a little bit firmer, like a thick, you know, like a, a solid layer of, of Parmesan cheese on top. And that butter just kind of soaks down in there. That Parmesan cheese traps it down in there. And then when you pull it out, dude, it's going to smell up the whole house like, like heaven. It's going to, it's going to be amazing. And usually I, what I'll do with that is like, I'll serve that with like some, um, like sweet potatoes, a sweet potato mash, or there's what I, we call it. Um, it's great for, uh, the kids or your wife or something like that. Um, or just a light bed of rice, um, you know, lime rice or whatever. But when you cut into that, 
A, you feel light after you eat it. You don't feel like that heavy, like deep fried feeling where you're like, wow, I just ate a bunch of deep fried fish or French fries or something like that. And it goes good with like uh, a light beer or a glass of like red wine or whatever your, your go-to evening meal is. And it's a different, unique way. Cause a lot of people think like I caught a walleye, I gotta, I gotta fry it and batter and then, and then fry it in the deep fryer. This, you, this way there's a lot of flavor and it's super light. And at the end of the day, you're like, you feel like you ate something somewhat decently healthy rather than just a bunch of like fried fish. <laughs> Even though you just said throw a whole bunch of butter in the microwave, it's still the butter healthy. is the butter is uh, depending on how far you want to take it. If you want a lot of butter, cool. If you want light, I usually just do light butter. Just kind of like you're not like dumping it on it. You're kind of just like drizzling it like back and forth over the top of it. Gotcha. But no, that whole presentation sounds incredible. And like you said, yeah, it takes that heavy, thick, hot oil business out of it, and you get something that's going to be crispy it's going to be light you're going to get that richness from the butter but at the same time you're going to have those notes of the parmesan cheese which is just going to make it super umami that is that's an awesome dish for your yeah, first it, one holy smokes it was, and when it flakes off like like you've got that cross layer parmesan cheese i like i like cheese that has like a little bit of brown to it after it comes out of the oven so when you when it flakes apart and you kind of like chipping off that parmesan cheese and then you get like a scoop of rice with it dude it's right on that's phenomenal yeah second one this one's going to be a little bit more personal okay this one is it's you and the missus the kids the dogs everybody is uh away it's just you and the lady and you are going to be cooking for this date night in-house date night kids are off at grandma's what are you going to be making for your bride that's going to just make this date go just right? And I'm going to open this up to full spectrum of wild game. I won't condense you down to fish. You get the full spectrum here. All right. I already know what that is. My wife's favorite thing that I, from wild game comes from um, deer, whitetail. It could be whatever. It could be. This could be. This could be for elk or whatever, but I'm I'm here in Michigan, so I got whitetail in my freezer. And what I do um, is something I started doing actually just last year for the first time. Um, when it comes to taking off your back straps, the, you've seen a lot of people start to do this, and you you make tomahawk steaks out of them. So you leave the rib cage on basically yeah. uh, instead of instead of cutting that back strap off the whole way down. It's just one chunk of meat. And then, you know, you, you slice it up and cook it either like one big steak or like little individual steaks. I do it with that rib still attached to that backstrap meat. And then I just, you know, what I do is a lot of the times you can like season it with your favorite steak seasoning, um, like Montreal steak seasoning, or if you've got some kind of herbs that you want to put on there. But I put it on the, the Traeger for a slow cook for a steak, meaning like, what I'll do is I'll cook it for probably close to a half hour on a low temperature. And I just kind of keep putting olive oil on it, kind of putting those seasonings on it. Um, and I just really let that smoke kind of sear into it. And then after I take it off and let it sit for a while, you know, again, depending on your palate and what you like to eat, but I like my wife and I really like venison, like bloody still, like, almost like medium to medium rare almost. Yes. It gives it gives the most flavor. And I think it's like the number one thing 
where it will turn somebody off on venison or wild game is if you overcook it or you cook it like if you're like i like my steak my you know my beef steak well or medium well it's you could eat wild game like that in my opinion it's gonna deter you away from it if you're not a big wild game person but my wife if it's a date night is gonna be it's gonna be medium to medium rare it's going to be slow cooked. It's going to be rested for when I take it out. You know, you can put it in like a cooler or something like that for about I don't know, five to 10 minutes. And then, uh, yeah, from there, we're going to just serve it with our favorite side. Again, being either the sweet potatoes. Um, another thing that I like to do is serve it with peppers. So what I'll do is I'll cut up like a red pepper or a green pepper. Again, grab, grab like a cookie sheet or whatever, line it with tin foil, and then drizzle that olive oil on there. And you cut the you cut the pepper into four sections that look like canoes, if that makes sense. Yeah. And, and what I do is I put um, oregano down first, then I drizzle it with the top of the the uh, the peppers with olive oil, and then I'll put Parmesan cheese and a little bit of um, uh, mozzarella cheese, and I cook it in the oven for twenty minutes at four hundred. And when you pull them out, it's the smell of roasted red peppers. It, they're nice and soft, extremely soft. And when you serve it with like a steak or like those tomahawk venison back shafts that I talked about, you can eat like two or three of them. And the flavor between the oregano and the olive oil and the Parmesan cheese, it tastes amazing. And it's it's a meal that's light. And uh, again, when you get done eating it, uh, you, you feel good about yourself. That's great. I think we're going to put a lot of steakhouse restaurants out of business if they if people started eating venison the way that you just described it. Like that is just to a T that would just make an amazing steak. Yeah, I think you know the, the big thing too with with anything when it comes to cooking and actually the the Traeger or any kind of style whatever your your style of cooking is is don't rush it. Like don't think you got to crank the the grill up to 500 degrees, throw a steak on there and cook it you know, six minutes on each side and serve it. For me, I've, I've, just, I've learned to be more patient with, um, you know, my meals that I cook. And if you have the time, like you said, like a date night with your, your wife, put that grill on a, a lower smoke or a, I'm sorry, a lower temperature with smoke. And then, you know, have a couple beers while you're waiting for it. Sit outside by it. It gives off a great smell of the wood burning, things like that. And then, uh, you know, you can kind of make it more of a, um, you know, like you said, a date night where you're you're enjoying yourself with cocktails and drinks first, and then when it's time to eat, um, you know, it feels like more of a process and more intimate, in my opinion. Amen, amen. Well, Lee, yeah, I definitely you hit both of those out of the ballpark. Both of those were awesome meals, and I think people are going to have great takeaways doing something different with fish that you know traditionally gets gets fried and all the time and have a whole new approach to something that's more light and flaky and at the same time just taking that staple that is a steakhouse meal you know your favorite sides be it asparagus or like you were talking about your sweet potato mash and then just having a steak done with time and care not quick get it out on heat pull it off and hope that it's the you know the the doneness that you want right yeah it gives that more time for those flavors to soak in well, this has been a great night, Lee. Um, where can my listeners find out more about about you? Where can we follow along with you? And, yeah, you're in a bunch of places here on Sportsman's Nation now. What are the two podcasts that you are fully involved with? Yeah, so the Freshwater Bite podcast is the fishing podcast on the Sportsman's Nation. Um, that's If you guys have been 
playing around on there or, or seen on the website. That's that was my first podcast and still running today. And then I just recently um, did another podcast here uh, based around the state of Michigan. It's called uh, My Life Outdoors or Michigan Life Outdoors. You can find both of those on the Sportsman's Nation, iTunes, Spotify, wherever. Um, my Instagram right now for Freshwater Bite is just Freshwater Bite on Instagram um, and on Facebook. And then uh, the handle for Instagram for Michigan Life Outdoors is just My Life Outdoors. Um, yeah, so you can find me on either one of those two places. The Michigan Life Outdoors, I kind of deal with some local friends here, and we just try to keep it as relevant as we can to like what's going on nowadays or present time, how we're preparing for the season, what hunts we have lined up. Um, and we do fishing in there. We do bow fishing. Basically, the lifestyle of a Michigander and uh, in the outdoors. So Awesome. Well, Lee, this has just been a great evening. And I appreciate the time that you've uh, you've taken to just just join and just chat with us about our Great Lakes and what we can find inside of them. So hold yeah. on for just a second, and I'm going to send the listeners on out, folks. If you're excited about getting your tackle out on the lake, I would say this is about the time to do it. It is hot. It is still. So maybe enjoy the ski boat during the middle of the day, but make sure that when that sun starts going down and that water starts to flatten on out, go a little deeper during the summertime. See if you can't find those panfish. But when it comes time to fillet them up, always use a sharp knife. 